Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. And Luca, we have finally made it after an entire offseason of wondering if Von Miller would play, wondering what the Bills would do, wondering if Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen are still friends, wondering if they'd fire their coordinators, wondering how this team would handle the devastating loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. We have finally made it, my friend to game day and it feels great <sighs> we're here we are here sigh of relief everything is in front of us i'm so excited to be doing a podcast doing a show doing something where by the time people if they come bright and early to consume this will be enjoying a game later on in that day and we will be able to consume bill's football finally and of course, if anyone follows along with us, we obviously record on Sunday nights. You will be listening to this at the earliest Monday morning. And we got to enjoy a football Sunday as a nice teaser going into now game day on Monday. It's just what a wonderful life it is. Fall is in the air, Josh. And I am so happy to be sitting down talking to you about a Bills game coming up right around the corner. Yep, and I am looking right now. We said we're recording this on Sunday night. It is pouring down rain in the <laughs> Meadowlands, the very same city these Bills will take the field tomorrow night against the New York Jets. So I did just rush in to check the weather report, and at least based on what I'm looking at, Luca, I see most of the rain will have made its way through. It looks like it's going to be around 12% chance of rain at kickoff. No wind, so... Hopefully by then that gets all the bad weather out of the system, but uh, we shall see now that we are on the brink of this game. I just want to ask you the way I normally start off these bills chat episodes, which, you know, normally is in the post game slot. How are you feeling about the bills? Not just in general. How are you feeling about the bills? <laughs> I'm feeling great, Josh. It's a, it's a beautiful Sunday evening. Um, no, I, I'm feeling good. I it's a weird place because I so again, we record this on Sunday night. I have if you follow along also understand friends come over for football Sundays and everything like that. As the four o'clock slate was winding down, everyone was like kind of, you know, we're all just talking, blah, 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 all that stuff. And of course, the bills are being talked about. What are we doing for the game? So on and so forth. And it felt like, oh, Stefan Diggs is in the crowd at the Giants game. Shout out. Uh, <laughs> um, so. Uh, what you call it? Yeah. Back to it. Um, my one buddy asked me, so how are you thinking about the game now at this point? Cause he listens to us and stuff like that. So he knows where my thoughts were before. And I was like, I'll be honest. Like I'm a little bit more confident and he is worried. He, he is concerned. And I felt like a lot of the other individuals in my living room were also concerned. And they also just felt like something might go awry tomorrow. And I, I can understand where that is. But it makes me feel weird that it's like I still sit here talk right now. <laughs> wow, that sounded very broken. Anyways, I'm sitting here talking right now, and I genuinely am still confident in that 23-16 scoreline I brought up. I'm confident that the Bills should be able to cover that two and a half points and have a game which it will be ugly once again. It's going to be what I imagine a more typical divisional game, not like this Dallas uh, Giants game that anyone's enjoying on Sunday night. And it will be something that comes down to it, but eventually the Bills will prevail because the X factor to me, as we discussed on our Bills Chat Live show, 
was I just really questioned the Jets offense when it comes to continuity and having things figured out. And then the offensive line holding up in general, there are big question marks there. So that's kind of where like anytime my head wants to deter or move or concern itself with maybe the Bills aren't going to win this game. I just come back to that underlying point and I just go, I think the Bills are going to pull this one out and I think they're going to be okay. But I feel I feel like more confident than the majority of people out there. But that's okay to me as well. I'm not concerned about that one bit. And I still feel very, very good about that 23-16 scoreline. Yeah, I think the Bills are going to win too. I agree with you that it's going to be close, which in the NFL means that we both are predicting that it could go either way. Um, I do feel like that the Bills are the slightly more talented team. I do think they have the better quarterback at this stage of Aaron Rodgers' career. And I like the fact that, that there's more continuity on the Bills side where a lot of the guys on the, the Jets side are still kind of learning each other. But I do wonder, Luca, how big of a game is it? And I know you always want to win your division games. And certainly it's national TV. And we saw the Dolphins today in a game that a lot of us probably thought they were going to lose looked dynamite. So they already have that win in the win column against a team that maybe a lot of us thought, okay, they're going to start off 0-1. So if the Bills fall to 0-1 and they're looking up at both the Jets and the Dolphins after an entire offseason, hearing many in the national media say that the Bills are trailing the Jets and the Dolphins. Now it's our reality after one week. But how big of a game is this week one game against the Jets? I, It's a massive game. I, I will say that. It's just kind of, it's massive in the sense of you want to make a statement and you're on the national stage to do so. And it's not your typical one o'clock kickoff on a Sunday where for instance, and we'll probably get into these game summaries. Like we'll talk about all the other games just for fun. Like the Steelers got their bleep pounded in. And I don't think that's going to be a big deal in the national media. It's going to be brought up. I imagine it's a eye opening scoreline. But overall, it gets kind of lost in the shuffle. No, you're in the national spotlight. You're on your standalone game spot at Monday night. And it's a moment and opportunity for you to make a statement to everyone with all eyes on you. What I will say in addition to that, though, is you asked me a question on our live show who has more pressure on them. And I answered that to be the Jets. And I still sit here thinking that. And I got some some like, oh, really? in my living room. When I even mentioned that point, it came up organically somehow. I can't recall how. Um, but I was like, yeah, it's just the bills are kind of in that situation where it's not a win win. Obviously, you want to win or you lose. But overall, it feels like one of those where they are still exactly what they we know them to be. They've done a couple of things. We're just curious to see in the media in general or the general spectator is curious to see how they look and work out to be. But all eyes are on the Jets. All eyes are on Rodgers. Everything like that. It's a totally new look. It's a new toy in the NFL. People aren't sure what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, they've propelled themselves from, hey, they're just the Jets that are a quarterback away and maybe a couple other things from competing to, hey, this team should be able to compete in a very competitive AFC. So let's see if they can do it. And here's a real big test at home against who's been their daddy for the past few seasons. So to me, it's like there's pressure. It's an important game and everything like that. But all pressure or majority of pressure, we'll say, is on the Jets sideline. I don't believe it to be on the Bills sideline. The only thing that I think the Bills have an issue with is if they do just get absolutely beat in and they get absolutely blown out in that game. If that result were to come tomorrow, 
then I think there would be a big problem. And that's the one result that I think pressure and expectations and how big of a game is it, that could be a big, big problem down the line. But overall, if they lose a field goal game or whatever it is, it's like, hey, you just lost to a tough divisional opponent on the road on a on a spotlight night by a field goal. That stuff happens. Teams lose in that fashion elsewhere. The Browns just beat the Bengals 24 to three. It's like divisional games can go that way. And as long as you don't lose your divisional games at home, that's okay for the most part. So to me, all the pressure, all the expectations are on the Jets right now. It's a very important game for the Bills, but the kind of negativity that can come with pressure leans to me on the side of the Jets. It's funny you mentioned that Browns-Bengals game because as you're describing how you could feel really bad about the Bills, I'm thinking what if they have their Bengals game like the Bengals had today against the Browns where they could get nothing going. And, you know, that's certainly within the range of outcomes. It's the NFL. These are two what we think are two good teams. On any given day, a good team can make another good team look bad. And that certainly could happen. The Bills could go out there tomorrow night and beat the Jets 38 to 17. And it's a completely different conversation on Tuesday. But I echo what you're saying. I do think there is more pressure on the Jets, despite the fact that the Bills are favored in this game, even on the road, because this entire offseason for the Jets has been, look how good we were when we didn't have a quarterback. And now we have Aaron Rodgers. We beat the Bills last year without a quarterback. And now we have Aaron Rodgers. We are ready to go for this Super Bowl. And if your season starts off with a loss at home, albeit against a very good team, I, I think maybe that's where they could live with it. If they're competitive and they lose late to the Bills and they're walking off the field and they're like, hey, we went toe-to-toe with this team. They got us. It's week one. This is one of the best teams that's going to be on our schedule. But we know we can hang with them. We've proven it now multiple games in a row. They won today. Maybe it's not as catastrophic, but in my mind, I'm expecting an overly electric atmosphere at the Meadowlands. I think the 9-11 piece of it is real. It has to be. That that city went through, I mean, a lot. The entire country did, but obviously that city was at the heart of it. Um, it's Aaron Rodgers' debut, and this is this fan base that is just starved for success. They just haven't had success since Rex Ryan was their head coach, they haven't won a playoff game since Rex Ryan was their head coach. So I think if this game goes in the Jets' favor early, it has a chance to snowball. But I've been saying all along, Luke, if the Bills can weather that early storm against the Jets, I do think there will be some momentum early in favor of the Jets. If the Bills can weather that, I think they should be in good shape. If the Bills lose tomorrow night, Luca, why do you think it'll be? Um, I'm tonight. Very, the bills lose tonight. Yeah, I'm sorry. Tonight, we're recording tomorrow. on Sunday. Look, everyone should understand we're recording. You, on got, Sunday. you guys get it. <laughs> Hopefully they understand. Um, if the bills lose, honestly, I, it'll probably be down to just the offense, not clicking in my mind. I think it's mainly going to lean on the offense and just due to there's a couple new pieces or changed pieces when it comes to like your lead back role is now James Cook, even though he was in house last year, it's a different role for him. Obviously Kincaid, we've talked to at length this off season and preseason um, he's coming in and he's probably going to have a somewhat prominent role. You have your Sherfield Hardy situation. There's a lot of different moving parts going on. If, if they're not able to kind of figure it out and click early, maybe it just kind of stalls out a little bit more than you would hope. And then you just find yourself behind the eight ball all the way through. Even if you lose a one score game, it just could be an ugly sense where 
you, you get your back end, you know, touchdown to, you know, bring it within a score or whatever it might be, but you just found yourself not kind of being cohesive as a unit early on. That's kind of more the world I expect because the defense side of things, if I were to say, how do you win or lose? I don't expect the defense to be anything that's going to be cataclysmically awful. Like I, I don't expect them to be something that's just going to magically change completely from what they've been the past few seasons. Yes, there's a new individual calling the plays that's Sean McDermott, but of course he's been the head coach the whole time. He's the understands the defense and what they were comfortable with in the past. He just wants to change how maybe they attack things in certain situations and whatnot. And that's why he took over that role. There are a couple new guys. You have your middle linebacker question mark and stuff. But I think those are things that you can easily disguise. Whereas if your offense is just not clicking, it's not in a rhythm and stuff. That is something that can find yourself getting behind early, especially like you're talking about. If the Jets then do roll out well themselves early on, and that's where your, you know, your uh, quicksand, your snowstorm, everything like that, it just completely balls up on you, and you just find yourself in a situation where hopefully it's not like Danny Dimes and the Giants' offense tonight. But overall, you know, you just can't recover, you can't get back, you can't get a feel for the game, and next thing you know, it's late in the game and it's already basically done and dusted. I have a feeling what we're going to see early tomorrow is something I hit on on Bill's chat live on Friday. I think we're going to see Josh Allen running early. If you think back to some of these big games of his career, right off the bat, the one that comes to my mind is the playoff game in Houston. And then another one that comes to mind is the regular season game in Kansas City in 2021 after the AFC championship loss. And there was a concentrated effort right off the bat to make Josh Allen a runner. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, if it's a very loud atmosphere and there's communication questions, that is their easy button play. There is not a whole lot of thought that goes into those play. It's, hey, 10 guys on the field, block the guy in front of you, and we're going to let this stallion of a quarterback run. Two, we have heard Josh Allen say he likes to run the ball early to get into it. He had 133 yards rushing and three touchdowns in the two games combined against the Jets last year. And I do think stylistically the way the Jets play defense against the Bills where they like to man up, do the single high look behind, which is a little bit of a diversion for what they normally do, which is rush four, play seven in zone. I do think there's going to be some running lanes there for Josh Allen. I think the Bills are one, they're going to try to run the Jets out of their play seven back defense so they can open up some of the big plays. And I do think what went wrong for the Bills last year, Luca, is despite the fact that the Jets were playing back, taking away the big play, the Bills took too many shots. We saw it throughout the season, happened a lot in the Jets game, and that's why the offense got stuck in the mud. I hope that the Bills have a concentrated effort to come out and attack the intermediate zone, run the ball with James Cook and Damian Harris and Latavius Murray, but I also think it's going to be a big Josh Allen rushing game, and I could see a situation where if the Bills get the ball first, you might see one or two design runs for Josh Allen. I know that scares some people because it's like, you got to protect 17. You got to keep him upright. But I think the bills view this as a big game. I also get a very, very, very strong sense that there's a quietness about the bills of, okay, we hear what the media is saying. We hear that the jets have been crowned. We hear what everybody expects to happen tonight. And basically as the kids say, the bills are like, bet we'll see what happens. So I think that the bills are going to come out and they're going to hit the jets with their best shot. And their best shot is an offense that includes Josh Allen running. <laughs> I'm just trying to get past you. Get past the bet thing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I don't even have the like a fortitude to even try that. My um, daughter will appreciate that when I show it to her. <laughs> um, yeah, I I expect something like that. It's it's almost in a way to when I think about early game plan, trying to just run it with Josh Allen, things of that nature, establish a establish a ground game in a variety of different ways, or at least what I will call even just doing short passing as an extension of running situation where all your passing early on is just an extension of running. It's something we actually kind of saw them do early on in the Rams opener last year. I felt like in that opener early on, there weren't deep shots. There weren't those kinds of things. A lot of stuff you were seeing were kind of just design passing plays where it felt like, as, you know, as I keep saying here is an extension of extension of the run. And you just want to do things that are high percentage high percentage plays that can be productive for you and move the chains and get you in good field position situations. Because when it comes to games like this, when it comes to those divisional games, games with, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of juice out there, stuff of that nature, where, you know, every play matters and it's tight. You want to try to do things that you are certain or as certain as possible are going to be productive for you are going to be able to maintain field position because field position at the end of the day is absolutely detriment detrimental to like success in these kind of games when points are as valuable as they are you know it's not every game can you put up 40 plus not every game can you put up 30 plus sometimes you just need to grind out yards play the field position game and just do it via high percentage plays keeping the ball on the ground keeping josh allen's legs moving if the opportunities are there because they're just not willing to give up the big play over top and that seems like what the Jets game plan will be. That's what a solid defense has always been. That's just what it is. You live and die by that. It's a bend, not break, and then try to capitalize on opportunities kind of defense. That's what they do. You've pointed it out so well that they're I if they blitz at all, I will be stunned. And it's going to take them probably doing things of that nature in order to just get the Bills not understanding what they're seeing and maybe even question what's happening. Because if the jets go with that kind of approach early on, and we do see Josh Allen using his legs early, if anything, that should be a massive help to the, to the bills. And then from there, they have to question everything they're seeing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And now they just have to question their defensive play calling moving forward. And that kind of keeps the bills one, if not two steps ahead. And that is the end game. That is the goal. You always want to be a step ahead so that you can kind of dictate and kind of drive the game and therefore play the field position game, get your points when you get them and never feel like you're ever behind or you're kind of out of your depths with the game's control. Well, let's take a moment to go over the injury report for this game. No injuries, either side. Good to go. Um, Micah Hyde was the scare early in the week. He missed um, practice on Wednesday, which wasn't an official practice with a back injury. And then he's not even listed as a designation. So he is ready to roll. For the Jets side, they have three players that are questionable. You have Dwayne Brown with a shoulder injury. You have Makai Becton with a leg injury and an illness. Then you have Brees Hall obviously working his way back from that torn ACL. But reports out of New Yorker, all three of those guys are projected to play. They all got in full practices on Saturday, which that's the way you want it. Like, obviously, Von Miller's out, but... That's what you want to have happen here. You don't want this game to be dictated by injuries. We have our best. They have their best. Let's see what happens. But I do want to talk about both those tackles for the Jets, Luca, because Becton and Brown, both on the injury report, I think it's safe to assume that neither one of those guys are going to be at 100%. We don't even know if Dwayne Brown at this point in his career will ever get back to 100%. Makai Becton is a guy that always feels like he's playing with something going on. And then their outstanding right guard, Elijah Vera Tucker, 
has issues coming back from his ACL last year. We'll see how well he holds up early in the season. You have mentioned multiple times that you expect the Bills to be able to take advantage of this Jets offensive line. When you think about that, is there a particular player that comes to mind? Is it Russo and Floyd off the edge? Is it Oliver and Daquan Jones in the middle? Is there one particular matchup you like for the Bills? Yeah, I mean, I talked about it on our live show, and this is the thing that my head really came back to. This is the thing I mentioned to my friend friend sitting in my living room when he kind of said he was a little concerned. I'm like, look, Leonard Floyd playing opposite Dwayne Brown is a matchup I take 11 out of 10 times. That is a matchup that I'm going to look at all night, hopefully, and see just absolutely dominating on the side of the Bills. I expect Leonard Floyd at 100%, the healthiest he will be all season, to be able to take full advantage of a matchup that is that, especially with Dwayne Brown clearly looking like he's already not 100%, which is unfortunate for him, but is a reality of the league. Once the season progresses, it's only going to be harder to maintain health. Um, it, it's, it, that is the thing. And uh, you know, I expect a rotation of course to happen. That's what the bills do. They will continue to do so. And that's a good thing. So you just get your freshest body on that. It's are uh, the bills, right side, the jets, left side, have someone fresh over there to absolutely attack the hell out of Dwayne Brown. I expect edge play to be everything in this game for the bills. And I expect them to excel. I think Gregory Rousseau is going to break out. I know you share that same sentiment this season. And it's like, this is an opportunity for him where he should be able to kind of shine in the spotlight because I'm sitting here talking about Leonard Floyd on the left side for the Jets and then Gregory Rousseau be coming in off the right. And he's got a favorable matchup in his own right, I believe, because Becton himself looks like he's not 100%. So it's like the edge is everything in this game. If for whatever reason, the Bills are not able to establish a dominant edge game, that's where we have serious problems because that's the matchup. That is the key to the game, in my opinion. That is the X factor. That is everything in this game. You have to be able to exploit that matchup opportunity. You have to be able to take advantage of it. And if they just can't do that, it could be a long day. You you have to get pressure on Aaron Rodgers. You have to be able to keep the edge against these types of running backs, being Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall at whatever he's at. Like the edge is so vital in everything that the Jets are going to try to achieve. And you have kind of, I'll call it the advantage at that point. I, I you know, I'm not sure how to basically say it, but you're at full health. You have your bodies minus Vaughn, even that should still be able to manage that full heartedly against questionable tackles. You need to win that matchup to create havoc and kind of control the game from that point on. So that is absolutely 1000% where my head's at with that question. It's, it's Leonard Floyd specifically against Dwayne Brown. If I have to talk about person on person, but it's just edge against their tackles. We need to win that 1000%. You know, Joe Viscalia is like my go-to guy on the bills beat, which by the way, he's going to be stepping away for a little bit because he and his wife are expecting the birth of their first child. Congratulations to them. All the best to the Viscalia family. But he mentioned on a podcast or in his article that, the things he was seeing out of Leonard Floyd in the preseason games were so, so very different from the things he was seeing at training camp to the point where he's like, okay, the bills are hiding something. They have a plan in place for Leonard Floyd and they are just not going to show their hand. And that could absolutely come to fruition tomorrow night. But we know the staple of a Nathaniel Hackett offense is get the ball out quick. It's West coast tendencies. So it's going to be, incumbent on guys like Tredavious White, Christian Benford, Taron Johnson to disrupt those routes early in the route to allow for that pass rush to take over because we had these same thoughts 
going into the Bengals game last year in the playoffs where we thought, man, this is a matchup. The defensive line should win. And the defensive line caught a lot of flack for not dominating that game. But when I go back and think about that game, there's a lot of hands in that cookie jar. What went wrong? But it was just how quickly and decisive Joe Burrow got rid of the ball, how open receivers were instantaneously in their route, how non-sticky the coverage was. So if the back end can't contain these Jets receivers, that offensive line matchup is almost null and void. So that's where I want to go to next, Luca. We talked about this a little bit. Garrett Wilson is excellent. I think we both believe that it's only a matter of time before he is in that upper echelon wide receiver question in the entire sport. He might already be there for some folks. I want to see a little bit more, but I, I would project he gets there sooner rather than later. But after him, you have a mix of Miko Hardman, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and then you have some okay tight ends in Conklin and um, CJ Uzama. All of those guys on their own to me are just journeyman level players. I think they all bring different skill sets to the table, but none of them scare me. Where are you at with these Jets weapons? How how worried are you about anybody outside of Garrett Wilson? Because in my brain, the way I think that Bill should attack this passing game in particular is dedicate whatever resources you have to to make sure Garrett Wilson doesn't beat you and then essentially tell the other guys, you got to win that matchup on the guy across from you if it's Lazard, Cobb, or Hardman. Yeah, it, this is a kind of game where the weapons, like you're mentioning with the Jets, you laid them out so beautifully well. Uh, you almost pre-snap me to check Garrett Wilson at all times, adjust defense accordingly, and I'm, I'm imagining a game plan like that is kind of something they can put in place just based on any team and any you know individual weapon, especially if they try to do something like that where it's just kind of your Devontae Adams, it's your Garrett Wilson in this case, whatever it is, where it's clearly one man is above all the rest. And you just have your understanding of if they're lined up on the perimeter over here, this is how we're going to shade coverage. This is how we're going to adjust our coverage to that. So we can cover both up high over top, up high over top and underneath, and then just worry about everything else. Kind of, it's not a man on man, but that kind of thing, hat on hat situation wise in your coverage. If it's inside, if he's in the slot, then you're just adjusting your inside guys, your Taron Johnson, your Matt Milano, whatever it might be. Look, I don't want to see Matt Milano guarding Garrett Wilson, but hopefully he's got help to do so based on whatever coverage it is. And we don't have a Matt Milano on Keenan Allen incident like we saw years ago. That was just mind-blowingly awful. I believe that was McDermott's fault as well, to be quite honest. But uh, I digress. Um, overall, what I would expect the game plan to be is that essentially you need to design your coverage pre-snap to always adjust and account for Garrett Wilson and then shift things accordingly to make sure, as you're saying, there are two hats on it. There are always four eyes, two sets of eyes on that man at all times. So you're covering both over top and underneath and just kind of shade him the entire way, make his life a living hell out there in the open field and just make things happen with everyone else. They need to get the ball to Alan Lazard to do anything. They need to go to Randall Cobb. They need to go to Mecole Hardman. Individuals who are not exactly known on being reliable targets, being reliable weapons in any offense, and kind of just flash and dash. They can do one thing to you and then just disappear. Like you said, journeyman kind of weapons. That's a very good way to describe them. If you are losing to Alan Lazard in the air, Unfortunately, you probably did multiple things wrong in order to have that kind of outcome happen. And realistically, I just don't see the bills being in a situation where that's a problem, especially if it's like, hey, 
if you are able to somehow figure out a way that Trey White is on Garrett Wilson majority of the time, you figured out a way that or the Jets play into that hand for whatever reason since they play sides. I would happily have Christian Benford on Alan Lazard every day of the week. I love that matchup. I think that would be a safe matchup and everything like that. Now it's like, okay, beat us in the slot with old man Randall Cobb or Mikol Hardman, who kind of is a hit or miss guy himself and or these tight ends, as you mentioned as well, Ty Conklin, Ty Conklin. Yeah. Uh, or, and then uh, Uzoma, it's like it, none of these guys are going to be able to exploit you up over top regularly or anything of that nature. You shouldn't be scared of them. You should realistically be able to just go hat on hat with those individuals and just live with that because then your pass rush or your blitzes get home. And hopefully life is a living hell for the offense as a whole. You just need to make sure Garrett Wilson isn't kind of one-on-one in any situation. You mentioned Tredavious White to Monday night football tonight. For those of you listening on Monday will be the first time since Thanksgiving of 2021 that Tredavious White, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer all take the field together for these Buffalo Bills. Luca, there's reason to believe that this will be the best version of this Bills defense that we have seen in quite some time because all three of these former all pro players are back on the field together and Look at Tredavious White. He's another year removed from the ACL injury. Micah Hyde looked like he was going to be cleared to play in the AFC Championship game last year, had the Bills advanced that far. And then Jordan Poyer has had an entire offseason to recover from the laundry list of injuries he was dealing with last year. Asking you here today, of those three players, which one concerns you the most that he may not be the best version of himself, whether it's age-related, Tredavious White is 28 going on 29 um, and Hyde and Poyer are both 32 or just what you've seen of them recently on the field. What's your, if you had to rank these guys from most confident will still be really good to least confident. How would you rank those three? Ooh, ranking them. Um, I'm most confident in Jordan Poyer. I'll Same. say that just that to me is the easy answer or the easy ranking uh, Jordan Poyer. I'm confident he will be what he is. The fact that he was still playing at a decently high level last year with the, like you mentioned, laundry list of issues he had going on health wise and whatnot um, just tells me that he's still a dog. He's an absolute, just a beast of an individual. Um, and then I probably, I think there's a separation there. And then I think the, the difference between the other two is pretty tight overall. I am probably the most concerned with Micah Hyde just because I have a serious scare with neck injuries. I, I think a neck injury is no joke. It's, it's, it's a scary matter where kind of you never know what's going to happen every hit of the way. You don't understand how comfortable or maybe dis, you know how much discomfort he is in at any point in time. Maybe it just kind of sparks up at any point in time. And next thing you know, just by him kind of overextending himself in a situation, maybe it re-aggravates something in his neck and you lose them for the rest of the game and more games or whatever might happen. I feel like that's the kind of situation potentially you have with Micah Hyde. Whereas Trey white, look, he's another year removed from an ACL. He is kind of about to hit 30 in his life. And it's not exactly something that he's going to probably ever recover a hundred percent from when it comes to his, his speed he had prior, but it's like, he still has the wit with him. He still has kind of the fearlessness of being comfortable within his body overall and it's just a knee injury where he's just got to adjust to his speed and the angles he takes with you know tackles and things of that nature running down individuals to tackle in the open field and those are things that i think he's a smart enough individual to adjust for accommodate for and make things happen it's not something where 
out of nowhere, something could re-aggravate his ACL. Like if it's fully repaired, if it's a hundred percent at this point in time, and he's just, just has to adjust his athletic abilities with a repaired ACL. That is something he should be able to do and be capable of doing. Whereas Micah Hyde has an injury in kind of a situation where, you know, you question his mental comfortable comfort, which I think is on the okay. It seems like everything's good on that front, but that's still something in play right now. And then on top of it, like I said, you never know if he's going to re-aggravate something in any way just due to that neck injury. So that's kind of my biggest concern when it comes to these three. He's the most concerned I'm being. Overall, though, to put that baseline of level of concern, I would say like Micah appears to be in very good spirits. He appears to be in a very healthy, you know, place right now. I'm not overly concerned about it. It's just if we're talking about this situation, I would be most concerned about him. I think it's fair to say that I would think that the the all pro days of all three of those guys are probably behind them. That that's just my feel on it. I would love to be wrong. I don't want to certainly be the one doubting Jordan Poyer at this point in his career. Um, but I do think there is a realistic path for all of those guys to be B plus to A minus versions of themselves which would certainly be an upgrade over what the Bills had in their secondary last year with really a C to C minus version of Tredavious White, maybe a B minus to C plus version of Jordan Poyer, and then a hodgepodge of depth safeties playing opposite Poyer. So that would certainly be a welcome sight. Plus the growth of Christian Benford would certainly be, be welcome. Okay. One more question on this game, Luca, if the Bills win, well, it doesn't have to be the Bills win outside of Josh Allen. And Stefan Diggs, who is the most important skill player, so not offensive line, on the Buffalo Bills in a vict- for a victory tomorrow night against the Jets? Um, not Josh Allen, not Stefan Diggs. Um, who? So I think this is going to be a game that's played inside the numbers. I think it's most important that that's where they're going to go. It it's a real toss up between the individuals you'll see lined up there most. I'm just going to go with. to not name one name it's just the tight end position Mm -hmm. and where i'm going with that is it's not it's a it's the dk bros i've seen that being thrown out there i am not claiming that i came up with the dk bros i think that's a great nickname by the way for a tight end tandem since they are both dk initials um so i think the dk bros are the most vital thing that aren't josh allen and stefan diggs in this game i I think their role their production their ability to, to kind of control the middle in between the numbers is going to be vital on moving the chains, especially in your third and long situations. I think that's where you're going to see Sauce Gardner and probably overtop safety help occur on wherever Diggs is on, th- you know, obvious passing downs. We'll, we'll call it that way. Whatever that situation is, I would, <laughs> unless they are a ballsy individual group that want to one on one, even with the likes of Sauce Gardner over there on Diggs, it's that's a hell of a move you're probably going to see your overtop help over there. So now you have essentially one safety covering two thirds of the field with then, you know, inside the numbers, you have two legitimate receiving options in the DK bros that should be able to handle the individuals such as a CJ Mosley or whoever it is in front of them, because those aren't guys that are known for their coverage abilities. So they need to be able to eat in those situations to consistently move the chains and be productive on offense. So that's where I'm going to go with that question. I'm going to go with the DK bros. I think I'm with you. It's also tempting to say Gabe Davis, but the way I think the bills are going to attack this team is I think they're going to attack where Luca just said, and they're going to move guys into the slot. I think it will be a lot of Dalton Kincaid. I think there will be a mixture of Deontay Hardy, but I actually do expect it to be a heavy diet of Stefan Diggs in the slot because the jets have not historically moved 
Sauce Gardner around. He is stuck to his side, and so has Reed. So you could get digs in the slot on Michael Carter. And I do think that if the Bills are going to be successful tomorrow, they need to have some of those early throws early in the down. And, I mean, who else would you rather have Josh Allen throwing to than Stephon Diggs in those situations with just the understanding those two have together? I am fascinated to see how an NFL team matches up with the Bills and 12 personnel, though, Luca, because if the Jets decide to stay in nickel and leave Carter out there, I want to see how effectively the Bills can run. And I also think that there is a chance that if they spend too much time worried about Dalton Kincaid, people are going to forget about how good Dawson Knox is. Is he Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews? No, but he's in that next tier, and he has been the last couple of years, and he can certainly get open on these Jets linebackers. They are not a fast group, and their safeties are nothing special. I think there's going to be room to gain for Kincaid, for Knox. I expect a heavy dose of 12 personnel. And if you can find a Kincaid anytime touchdown bet, I would take that because I have a good feeling that the Bills' first-round pick finds his way into the end zone. Mm. One last question for you, Luca, not necessarily about the Jets game, but just sitting here on the brink of this season. Which Bills person is under the most pressure this year? And maybe I'll narrow it down to four for you. Brandon Bean, because his drafts have come under question, and now we're seeing a situation where two of his rookies are going to start this year. Three of his rookies from last year are going to start. So certainly he is in the eye of the storm as far as if those guys don't perform, it's going to be, hey, Brandon Bean, what's going on? Sean McDermott took over the defensive play calling, has not had his greatest moments in the playoffs. I think some of that is unfair. I think he's really wrongly compared to Marty Schottenheimer, even though his record in the playoffs is way better than Marty Schottenheimer. But, you know, you have Josh Allen as your quarterback. You got to make it out of the second round of the playoffs more than one time in your career before people start pointing fingers. The quarterback, Josh Allen, who didn't have his best game at all against the Bengals in the last playoff matchup, coming off of the injury last year, having a situation now where completely BS-wise, some in the national media, I don't even want to call Whitlock that because he's a joke, are questioning his, his work ethic. But now there is a real conversation about it's not even Allen and Mahomes now at 1-2. It's like, okay, Mahomes is here. Now it's Allen Burrow Hurts at 2-3-4. Or is it Stefan Diggs? who has been outspoken this offseason, who put himself out there and made it seem like, hey, something's wrong here. I'm not happy with what's going on. Who do you think is under the most more, most pressure to perform this season of those four I mentioned? Ooh, it's, it's a very good question. It's a very good topic to kind of discuss. But at the end of the day, you can make an argument like you did so well for all of those things. But it's Josh Allen. It's mm-hmm. it's it's always Josh Allen. Look, he is the face of the franchise. He is the horse we have to all get on the back of to ride our ways to hopefully a championship. He is everything to this team. We talk about it all the times. If he goes down, we go down with the ship. It's just how it's going to be. And when you have that amount of pressure when it comes to success and failure on your shoulders, no one else can top that. It's why I don't believe like I no one needs to be concerned with Diggs nonsense because it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in order for Diggs to find his success or failure. It's dependent on Josh Allen. In my mind, if Josh Allen's not having a good day, neither is Diggs. If Josh Allen is having a good day, so is probably Diggs. It, it, those things correlate for the most part, if not always. So it's like 
it's always Josh Allen. It will forever be Josh Allen. But I think Josh Allen, you know, kind of to wrap it all up, is built for that. He he answers everything so well. He handles the pressure that media builds up on him so, so well. And then he just handles media questioning. He handles everything else when it comes to interviews so perfectly that I just do think he's a well-grounded individual to be able to handle that kind of pressure, handle the moment that is just week in, week out pressure to succeed and win to hopefully bring this franchise forward and be okay. So I, I, it's always Josh Allen. It will, that is the ultimate Trump card. It's like, look, if you are the franchise quarterback, if you are the individual that they are putting all their chips on to be successful, you have to always be the one under most pressure, whether you handle it well or not is up to you, but it's, I think Allen does handle it well and he will forever be the man with the most pressure. I'm with you. And I always compare this team to the Colts of the two thousands. And when the Colts were losing those playoff games and Mike Vanderjat was missing field goals in overtime or Manning drove him down and then he missed one that looked like it was going to hit a cheerleader on the, on the Steelers sideline against the Steelers that would have forced overtime. The conversation wasn't about Mike Vanderjat. The conversation wasn't about Tony Dungy or Marvin Harrison or Bill Polian. The conversation was about Peyton Manning. And that is, what happens when you're a franchise quarterback and Josh Allen to be in that conversation that so many of us believe he should be in. And I believe he is in it's time to produce. There is as much talent on this team as there is on the Kansas city chiefs. I maintain the bills one to 53 are a better roster than the Kansas city chiefs, even though their one is the best one in the sport. I think the bills man for man are as good, if not better than the Bengals. I don't know. I mean, I, the Dolphins, to me, are a loaded roster. We'll see what happens. And Tua looked fantastic today. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the, it's time for Josh Allen and the Bills to make a real run. Like, we've seen them make it to the AFC title game and then look overmatched. We've seen them look like they can go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs, but just not quite close the deal in the divisional round. And then we saw them sputter out last year, and we all had that laundry list of excuses. But the excuses are over. It is time for this team to produce. There is enough talent here to win with. And uh, I think I have a good feeling this team's going to give it a serious, serious run. And hopefully for all of us listening to Bill's chat, it starts Monday night against the Jets. Tomorrow night, realistically for me and Luca. Tonight, for those of you listening to our podcast, which we can't thank you enough for taking the time to listen to this. Um, you know, the reason why this isn't going a little bit longer tonight is Luca and I did go into a big breakdown on Bill's Chat Live. You can find that on our Bill's Chat YouTube channel uh, recorded on Friday. Uh, I would encourage you to check that out. But I always feel like, Luca, when you have the Monday night game, the game has been beaten to death at this point. Like, we've had weeks to analyze it. And I do think that some of those bigger picture conversations are what is the appetite of the fans. And one of the bigger picture conversations for the Bills this year is how improved the AFC East is. And that's where I want to start when we start talking about the out-of-town scoreboard because the Miami Dolphins took the field today and they won a football game against the LA Chargers by a score of, why is that not on the front page, 36 to 34, and Tua threw for over 400 yards. Tyreek Hill had over 200 yards receiving and two two, um, touchdowns. And Tua had a moment where he was down by four with a couple minutes left and then bing, bang, boom, drove them down for a touchdown. 
Luca, has anything that happened today changed your mind on the Miami Dolphins? No. I, I, I Nothing has changed my mind. Look, the Dolphins at full health can beat any team anywhere, and it doesn't matter. They have something that no other team has. Elite speed everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Tyreek obviously showed it. It was a quiet day, quote unquote, from Jalen Waddell, but he can pop off at any time and he's their number two. Raheem Moster is no slouch, slouch in the speed department himself. He had a good day. And Tua just needs to be at full health and seeing the game clearly and do what he can do, which he did at a very high end rate against a Chargers defense that, look, the Dolphins deserve all the accolades when it comes to an impressive win. But boy, did that Chargers defense with Brandon Staley, once again, an absolute joke of a coach, just does not know what he's doing when it comes to calling defense and understanding what he's supposed to do, which is mind-blowing considering that is exactly what his specialty is supposed to be. So it, it's one of those situations where the Dolphins deserve everything. They won that game. As you highlighted perfectly, Tua had the ball in his hand. Herbert put them down. Tua had the ball in his hand down four and did everything perfectly to bring them down late get that go-ahead touchdown and missed extra point, which helped a uh, hell of a seven-and-a-half-point teaser I had going on. Um, and uh, it, it just, it, it's like one of those things where you have to tip your hat to that, but it's not surprising at all either. It's like they are a very good team at full health. Let's see if Tua and that team now can stay healthy moving forward. What I came away the most impressed with, I mean, Tua was dynamite. That was the most yeah. impressive thing, but I think the most surprising thing for me was how the offensive line kept Tua clean because they were playing without Armstead. Um, and they had Lamb at left tackle, and they had um, the right tackle who used to play for the Patriots, oh, Isaiah Wynn. I mean, that is not a great offensive line, and Tua did not get sacked one time. And they put up 36 points against the Chargers, 400 and something passing yards. And the defense for the Dolphins didn't have a great day but you saw the pressure the defensive line was able to get. They have some dudes on their defensive line with Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips, and Bradley Chubb. And in the money downs, the last drive, Luca mentioned the missed extra point. Who wasn't thinking at that point in time, oh, they just screwed up. The Chargers are going to go down and get a field goal, walk this off, and the Dolphins are going to be heartbroken. And then the Dolphins come out, four-man rush, boom, sack Herbert. And then they mixed in a blitz and sacked him again, and it was, it was a good night. And I just came away thinking if the Dolphins can get, if they can just bottle that from their defense and with what they get from their offense, they are going to be a handful. But that's the issue with Miami. It looks great on September 10th. Let's see what it looks like on December 10th because they have a lot of guys with a long track record of not being able to stay healthy in this league. And Armstead's already missing. Jalen Ramsey's already missing. We know Xavier, Howard did not look good to me today. Now, that's a, that's a handful of an offense he went against. He did not look good to me today. We shall see what happens, but at least they passed the test with flying colors. Um, what else What else stood out to you, Luca, on the out-of-town scoreboard as far as games we should touch on? I guess we should go to the Bengals-Browns game, 24-3. to uh, That game may have a little bit of an asterisk because it was played in a downpour, but, man, I, I always like to put myself in the shoes of if the Bills had done that, what would it sound like here? And to me, that would be the equivalent of the Bills going to Foxborough on opening day and losing 24 to three. I don't even want to give the Browns enough credit yet to call them the Jets with Rodgers. I'd say going to Foxborough and losing a game like that. 
what do we make of the Bengals at this point? Is it just, is it as simple as they had a bad day? The Browns have their number. Maybe the Browns are better than we thought. And it was a downpour or are there some real warts there on the Bengals? No, there's no concern whatsoever on the Bengals. The Bengals do this every year. It feels like I, I now Burrow was hurt, of course, in the preseason. So you're, if there's even any sort of knock, you are not putting Joe Burrow out there, but I think there should be probably a real discussion moving forward. If he's at hundred percent that you have him play a drive, maybe two in the preseason, have him warm up in the preseason because they have not once had Burrow out there in a preseason. Now there's been a couple health things. I think he had, was it an appendix removed last year. Mm-hmm. He was coming off of the ACL injury the year before there's clear reasons that they haven't, but at the same time, then that explains why they have these absolute blunders to start a season. Last year, they lost to the Steelers, I believe, at home, and then went to Dallas and lost in Dallas to a, I mean, look, I think Dallas had a good record, but they weren't exactly a world beater of a team. And it was Cooper Um, Rush. (laughs) Against Cooper Rush, yes, exactly. It's like the Bengals just start slow, they find their footing, and then they eventually get rolling. I mean, T. Higgins had eight targets, for zero catches and zero yards as an individual who is in a guillotine league with T Higgins as his number one receiver. I was sweating bullets in that one o'clock slate. I'm like, I can't be having my number one receiver in an 18 team guillotine league getting zero points. It's not a fun time. Luckily there was someone that had other issues since they were the Cooper cup and Jerry Judy owner. Thank that you. Hurts. Goodness. Yeah, that's not a good one. <laughs> um, see you later. Good. Thank you for your services. Um, so overall though, the Browns have owned the Bengals as well. They, in the history of Joe Burrow and the Bengals, the Browns have somehow still owned them as well. So when it comes to this game, it's just one of those ones where I chalk it up. It's kind of like my thought, like I said, when it comes to the bills, if they were to lose a close or a manageable game at the Meadowlands to, you know, today, tomorrow, whenever you're listening yesterday, if you listen afterwards, we still appreciate you stopping by. Um, it's, it's one of those situations where it's like, it happens, whatever, move on because luckily it's the college football mindset in me that goes, at least you had that loss early. You can recover the standings or the public eye and recover your dignity by winning those games late in the stretch and get your momentum going into the playoffs and the games that really matter. If you lost your week one game, it's not even your, you are all automatically out of the national championship conversation in college. Same situation here. You lose your early games. You're trying to figure things out. Eventually they will click for the Bengals. I would be shocked if they don't. And then you just move on with your life. I still think the Bengals are a very good team. I think to me, the Browns are just also a really good team. They're a very, very good team. They have a lot of good pieces. That defense looked great overall. And there's a reason I have a ticket that has Miles Garrett as defensive player of the year. There's a reason I have multiple tickets that involve the Browns winning the AFC North. They're an impressive team in a tough division. They, with wins like this, can win that division. People just get used to it. The Bills' week two opponent, the Raiders, got a 17-16 to win over the Denver Broncos, which had to be a very disappointing day in Denver for Sean Payton's debut. And it was a couple of missed kicks by Will Lutz. But, Luke, I will tell you, despite the fact that the Raiders got a road win, I do not come into next week at all more intimidated about these Raiders. I saw that game. Um, it was on my smaller screen, but that was the definition of a professional pillow fight. Uh, one of those teams had to win by the rules laid out by the NFL, but neither one of those teams looked sharp by any means. Uh, one team won because the other team missed an extra point. Basically, By yeah. the trade asset that they took right at the last second to get uh, 
mind-blowing thing. The Sean Payton era is well under effect at Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, no, honestly, that game, I did have it on a small screen myself, but I, I found myself watching it a little bit more mm-hmm. than I probably should have, uh, even with the amazing games like the Dolphins Chargers and the Patriots-Eagles game was actually a quite entertaining game, which I was shocked by, but it yeah. was a very entertaining game. Um, things like that were happening. And then I would look up there and watching the Raiders – I am more, they won and I am more confident about next week. Like it was like one of those situations where it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, the Raiders won by securing their first down with Jimmy G scrambling out to the left for an eight yard pickup. And I'm like, if that's what it takes for them to pick up a first down in a crucial situation, I like our defense's chances of holding Jimmy G from eight yards running. Like if it came down to that moment and you just put the bills defense in, I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that one out, which that is also the strength of the Broncos. The Broncos are a very good defense, but if clearly they just they got some issues going on. And um, I enjoyed every second of that game when it came to the result. I'll tell you that. That was hilarious. One team that people were kind of buying into after a strong preseason were the Pittsburgh Steelers. And mm. they got walloped at home today by the San Francisco 49ers. Kenny Pickett had two interceptions. They could get nothing going in the running game. All you need to know about the Steelers, Luca, this this should tell you everything you need to know. Allen Robinson was their leading receiver. <laughs> a team that has Deontay Johnson, he got hurt. Calvin Austin the third, George Pickens. They have a couple of backs in Harrison Warren that can catch. It was Allen Robinson going five for 64. And the Niners, we talked about this a little bit offline, where the Steelers are a team that historically start strong because they treat preseason like an old school team. They play their starters. They they tackle up as far up against the rules as you can in training camp. They hit, they, and that's why when they came to Buffalo and beat the Bills a couple years ago, despite being heavy underdogs, it wasn't overly surprising. They beat the Bengals last year, but the Bills and Bengals, a little bit more finesse teams. They ran up against another team that likes to punch you in the mouth, and look, you can punch Mike Tyson if you want to, but Mike Tyson will punch back at some point, and they got punched square in the mouth by Mike Tyson today. Yeah, speaking of punch in the mouth, I just watched Daniel Jones get blindsided twice in a row off oh, the edge in a 40 nothing game. Brian Dable needs to pull him out of there. That, oh, my God. Uh, this is insane. It's honestly entertaining more now watching this game than it was early on as the ship was sinking. Um, it, it's it's hilarious. This is one of those games where it wasn't a lock of everything seemed like it should have been the Niners should be able to take care of business. But you respect you had to respect the Steelers being one of those week one kind of Super Bowl teams. They always seem to come out week one and just play. You say it so perfectly well when they play the Bengals, when they played the Bills a couple of years ago, things like that, more finesse teams. They take care of big business so well because they can make it a dirty game and then they win that close score game. Now they just played against the Niners team who has a clear and decisive you know, game plan. They know what they want to do and they punch you in the mouth as they're doing it. They went, they basically went up against a much better version of themselves yes. and it, it showed in spades. Um, it also though highlighted something to me about the Steelers that I think wasn't discussed enough in the preseason. It almost was disguised in a way because people are like, they're having such a good preseason. The reality is this Kenny Pickens is a second year quarterback. Uh, Kenny Pickett, sorry. George Pickens is a second-year wide receiver with a lot of things he needs to work on, both of them kind of. I think Kenny Pickett's a little bit more pro-ready at his respective position, but both of them have a lot of work. There's a lot of things with this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that can succeed in preseason because things are very basic and vanilla. But then once you come up against the real thing, 
They still have a lot to desire. They need to work on a lot of things. And overall, in a tough division that I just mentioned, with the likes of the Browns being potentially winning that division, the Bengals should, of course, try to defend that division title. And the Ravens have hopefully some sort of conversation. And if you're the Ravens fan, those three teams have it. I just don't quite see it with the Steelers because they have those question marks moving forward. Um, you said Allen Robinson was the leading receiver. I will say this. Every time I watch that game, Calvin Austin was very used in that game. I think the Deontay Johnson injury kind of uh, escalated his usage a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Deontay Johnson's okay. It looked more of a non-contact, just grab his calf situation, and that's never good, of course. Um, but overall, it's the it's the Steelers are clearly a step behind their division. And I think they're at least a step behind of the entire class of the AFC, which is not a good time because that already puts you probably like the 10th best team in your conference because the AFC is just so stacked. But overall, yeah, they got a dose of reality when it came to a Super Bowl kind of contender. And it was look, I have respect for Mike Tomlin. I have respect for the Steelers and everything. But boy, watching them get punched in the mouth felt it was I, oh, I loved it I loved it, was, it. Yeah. <laughs> just with the hype they were getting oh speaking, yeah speaking of the AFC the Jaguars get a 31 to 21 victory over the Colts they were down late in that game they had a couple of touchdown drives late but really that the Colts being in that game was a little bit fluky because there was a Buckner touchdown that the Jaguars didn't even realize was a fumble until he was running it in um, Anthony Richardson looks like he is every bit the athlete he was described to be he actually reminds me a lot of rookie year, Josh Allen, where you can see the athletic ability, but it's just, it's so unrefined, but be patient with that kid. He seems like he's built the right way, uh, both physically and mentally. And I'm excited to see where that goes, but they need to get some more talent around him for sure. And it would help if they get their running back back in house. The Ravens got a 25 to nine victory over the Texans, but they lost their star running back JK Dobbins for the entire season. And then outside of that, Luca, we saw all three rookie quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson lose their debuts. Uh, we saw um, we saw Washington beat Arizona in a game that was much closer than a lot of us thought it would be. <laughs> what else stood out for you? Oh, one other game I wanted to highlight because it was maybe a setup for tomorrow to be beautiful. Jordan Love looked pretty good for those Green Bay Packers. And I know you probably have some things you want to say about that game since you accurately pinpointed how that game would go. Oh, yeah. But what a chef's kiss weekend for Packers fans if they go out there and blow out the Bears. If, if, if Aaron Rodgers falls it up on Monday night by having a dud. Oh, yeah. And, and like it, it was, I really wish I swapped that for my Giants pick in my Lucas Lock segment. If you, if you followed along this past Friday, um, we'll be doing that every week. It wasn't the greatest, especially seeing this Giants game wind down. Boy, did we get that one wrong. Um, Overall, though, it's it's one of those things that I felt like when you heard individuals talking about they like the Bears, they like what they can do. They like DJ Moore with um, what you call it with Justin Fields and they can improve on things like that. I highlighted it in that segment so well. It's like, look, what have they done defensively to stop things? They have a horrible rush defense and they have one of the better running back duos coming into town that have owned them already in the past. And I don't care if it's Aaron Rodgers under center. Yes, that matters a little bit more when you have more of an unknown with now Jordan Love under center. But Jordan Love, I don't look, you take preseason with a grain of salt, but he looked good in preseason. And to me, it was finally the time where you at least could see him look good because you only had limited snaps in the past where it was like, ah, he looks okay. And maybe that was just due to 
the team, the organization could finally fully commit their time and resources to Jordan Love being their starter and being ready for regular season games. And it showed in spades. He didn't even have his number one wide receiver and he looked as comfortable as could be. If it wasn't for that, oh man, I already have a gripe with Mux, Musgrove. I don't, look, dude, learn how to have feet that can stay like working. Learn how to run, learn how to catch your balance. Holy, <laughs> he cost a touchdown at one point. He cost a catch at another point just because he loses his footy. I Jordan Love overthrew him on the one where he cost the catch, but still it was like, dude, does this guy know how to use his feet? Does this guy know how to run? Does this guy know how to track a ball in the air? Like what is going on? This is like a rookie. I think he was like a third round pick. I'm like, what in the world? Anyways, I digress. Um, overall, that game went to a teat. Exactly. Uh, the only thing I didn't expect was for it to be such high scoring like it was 38-20. Holy crud. But, I mean, the Packers gave it to them. The Packers still own the Bears. Chicago fans, just buckle up, man. It's going to be a whole lot of more misery because Justin Fields isn't ready to be an NFL quarterback. Just bottom line. He can run. He was picking up third and longs with his legs and in very impressive ways. But he's still not able to do it in a way that's sustainable. He's still not doing it in a way that's like this guy can lead an offense week in and week out and find success. DJ Moore, as great as he is, needs a quarterback to still get him the ball. And if your guy isn't productive enough on a week in, week out basis, how is he going to be productive himself? I don't care if it's Claypool. I don't care if it's Mooney. The ball to Mooney, by the way, by Justin Fields, very impressive ball. But we've seen him make impressive passes in the past it's you need to do it time in time out time after time after time consistently in a 60 minute game and he just doesn't do that until he does that i will happily bet against the bears i will continue to bet against the bears especially when you give me a dog line that is the most i think that will be the last time the bears are favorited in a while here josh so um it was just one of those games that i'm so mad still again once again that i did not make that my two unit play I'm so frustrated. That could have saved the weekend of Lucas locks, but overall it, it just is what it is. You move on. I'll recover in the gambling category next week. Fortunately, the giants did not repay me whatsoever tonight. And um, yeah, impressive by the, pa the Packers look like with Jordan love, if he can keep doing what he's doing and Christian Watson comes back, they could be having another 10 years of decent success. So um Boy, it must suck to be a Bears, a Lions, a Vikings fan where you just look across the room and you're like, how in the world are they so lucky? <laughs> Josh, you're muted. Whoopsie. I agree. I will be rooting hard for uh, Jordan Love to be great. I don't hate Aaron Rodgers by any means, but I'm a sucker for a story like this where a guy is put in a situation where it's like, how are you ever going to follow that guy? Much like Aaron Rodgers was put in with Brett Favre. Very similar situations too, where he was doing the hokey pokey. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And then they finally like, no, no, you're out. We can't keep doing this dance with you, dude. Um, but that'll be fun to track. Let's let's talk about one more game. You did bring it up on the end here. The Giants, 40 to nothing. This game is still in progress, but with a minute left, I don't think they're going to mount a 40-point comeback. <laughs> what do Giants fans do here, Luca? Because the Cowboys are a team that have owned them. They had what they thought was a very good offseason. I will say Chris Collinsworth started off the game and his pregame saying how the Giants were an undermanned team last year, which I agree with. They I thought they I thought they overplayed their hand last year making the playoffs, but they're much better this year. And I'm looking at it like I don't see how they're they're much better. Like I, I like Darren Waller. 
but I, I love Jalen Hyatt, but you're talking about a third round rookie and Paris Campbell in, they brought back Sterling Shepard. I don't know. I, I look at their receiver core and it's like, there's more speed, but I don't know that there's like a dynamic playmaker there. Maybe Jalen Hyatt becomes that in time. I don't see, I don't look at this giants team. Like they had any kind of dynamite offseason. I think that they just continued to build on what they had. In fact, if anything, I thought they could have been more aggressive to go out and get a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, but they slow played it. What do Giants fans do with this result, which was obviously much less than ideal? Giants fans need to brainwash themselves away from this game. They need to act like it didn't even happen, because if you even remotely think about this game, you're going to find yourselves in the quicksand that Danny Dimes found himself in the first half after just the chaotic 16 points happened. I I, I don't even want to like the... I don't want to even give any props to Dallas because the only time the game felt like a game, the Giants were actually finding success on offense. And then as soon as that fumbled snap happens, that then leads to the field goal attempt that is blocked in return for a touchdown. With then the extra point, by the way, kid's first career. I mean, they said first NFL kick, and I know he was drafted in the MLS draft and, you know, stuff like that. It's like, was this his first kick of a football in general? Because it kind of looked that way. He was. He was perfect afterwards, by the way, but he misses that extra point. And then you go, and it's like you turn the ball over. It was just like chaos ensued and the game was no longer a game, even though it was only 16, nothing at this point or 10, nothing or, or nine, nothing. I mean, or, you know, whatever the level was after that moment, it was over. And Danny Dimes is running to the sideline and throwing across his body instead of just throwing it away, which then goes into Gilmore's breadbasket. And it's like, I, you it's a burn the tape game for the giants. Mm -hmm. It's a don't, I mean, the national media is going to be on their knees for the Cowboys this whole week, unfortunately. And I don't think they deserve it to be quite a, their defensive line wreaked havoc. That's who deserves credit. Their defensive line was very impressive. I even underestimated how good they could be, but outside of that, and Trayvon Diggs made a couple plays. There was at one point, if you watch the video pod, I made a hell of a face. Isaiah Hodgins gets absolutely stripped from behind by Trayvon Diggs. He looked very good tonight. I will give props where they are due to individuals, but the Giants just need to wash themselves of this game. If you're a Giants fan, you need to forget about this game. You can't let it linger because the more you let it linger, the deeper you'll find yourself in the quicksand. The deeper you are in the quicksand, the less likely you are to recover from it. It's just one of those games you have to shrug off and move on from. It's not good. They clearly look lost. I think the points you brought up are valid. Are they really that much better than they were last year? On paper, you can absolutely sell yourself on that. But are they actually on the field? And there are clearly questions about that now. And honestly, the biggest one comes to Danny Dimes being able to lead an offense and cool things out because I have... It's been a long time that I can remember seeing a quarterback who's at least respected somewhat be in a game where it seems like they have lost all control of it in the first half. And that's clearly what happens. He looked shell-shocked. Mm -hmm. He was in quicksand. He was, you know, it's a fictional character, but he was Shane Falco in the Sugar Bowl. He had <laughs> no idea what was going on. I had a good pull, right? Um, mm -hmm. had no idea what was going on. And it's like he was just forcing himself deeper and deeper into the problem rather than being composed, being cool, being Matty Ice back in his prime, and just getting his team out of it slowly. It was just over before it began, basically. And it was just one of those games that there's just no explanation for. 
and Giants fans just need to forget. Reminded me of the Trent Edwards Monday night game against the Browns in 2008. Now, this is where Edwards started off five and one, had the concussion in Arizona for the Bills' first loss Shout of the out season. Wilson. There you so. go. And Edwards was, by some people's measure, in the MVP conversation through the first six games, which is maybe some, maybe on Bills' message boards. But he came out against the Browns on Monday Night Football, a game that the Bills were heavily favored in. Brady Quinn was a rookie making his first start, and he threw a couple interceptions early, and he just went into the tank. It was, he was checking down. It didn't matter if it was third and 10, he was checking down to the running back or throwing it away out of bounds, not even looking downfield. And that's what Danny Dimes looked like tonight. Now look, Cowboys defense is good. The rain was coming down. Um, I hope for Giants fans sake, there's other things that went into it, but yeah, he was shell shocked. I do have good news for Giants fans. Next week, they play the Arizona Cardinals. (laughs) The bad news is after that, three of their next four games are against the Niners the Dolphins and the Bills all on the road. So enjoy that Cardinals week. They do have a, they had to do have a home game against the Seahawks who for whatever reason lost by two touchdowns today to the Rams. But I think the Seahawks are capable of beating the giants too. So we shall see what happens there. Maybe we can at least take a break for a little bit of hearing about how the bills let the wrong coach go. And Brian Dable, I think he's a good coach. I, I think he's a little bit misremembered by bills fans who remember him a certain way and misremember Ken Dorsey when the stats are kind of similar, but that is not a tangent I want to go off on right now. But Luca, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up this week on the Bills Chat channel, starting with the Monday night game against the Jets. I will be doing a halftime report on built-in Buffalo YouTube. It will be uploaded to the Bills Chat channel. I'll be letting you know everything I'm thinking about what's going on in the first half, what went right, what went wrong, what the Bills should do to adjust. And hopefully it's a very happy halftime show where the Bills have a three touchdown lead and we can all just have a good time together. But I will be there, win, lose, or draw. And then after the game is over, I will record a quick hits post-game show that maybe go a little bit longer because normally Luca and I on Bill's chat will have a post-game show. So the quick hits we do on Sunday will just be, hey, here's the three things that stood out. Tune into Bill's chat later tonight for full details. Maybe I'll go closer to like 20 or 30 minutes and really wrap it up in that way. And then Wednesday, Stokes and I will be back with our quick chat on what wrapping up McDermott's press conference, any injury updates coming out of the Giants game or the Giants game, the Jets game, getting us all ready for the Raiders week, the home opener. Um, Do we have a Sabres chat this week? We'll have a Sabres chat. I got to get back in the seat, you know, stuff like that. We'll just talk about everything. There's a lot of rumors swirling around about Rasmus Dahlin, the number that he is probably being extended with after after the whistle podcast with Andrew Peters and Craig Reve shouted out a source that they trust with a number and length that they have. I'm assuming anyone that hears this, it was eight years, I believe, 10 and a half a year. A lot of cheddar that would make him the highest paid defenseman that is not named Drew Doughty or Eric Carlson in this league. Um, it, it's definitely some things to talk about just because now we're in September, the season's around the corner. There's preseason games in two weeks at this point. I believe it is the season's a month away now. I mean, it's exciting. It, it feels like the home opener is actually coming up. There was Sabres hockey talk, Josh, in my living room during week one of NFL. It's exciting times here when it comes to Sabres, but of course it's NFL as well. So just we're in fall season here. All the sports are back, Josh. So, yes, there Beautiful. will be a Sabres chat this week. Got to get back in it. I got to give, you know, a little bit of an episode and talk about the few things that have come out since my last episode. 
And then Luca and I will be back at it on Friday on Bill's Chat Live, getting everybody ready for that tilt coming up on Sunday against the Las Vegas Raiders. And over the weekend, we'll reduce reduce we will release our new series called Luca's Locks, where he will give his three best bets of the upcoming NFL week. We'll also release our NFL predictions. There will be a couple more releases of the Buffalo Bills Madden 24 franchise coming up on Bill's Chat Podcast channel. That has been getting a lot of traction. I appreciate all of you. If you're watching on YouTube, please take a moment to like and subscribe. It helps out Luke and I as we are still trying to grow this channel from the ground up. We appreciate the hell out of all of your support. Luca, any final thoughts before we wrap this show up and don't talk again until the Bills have a game under their belt? <sighs> I'm just happy we're here. I'm happy we'll be able to talk about a post game then. Uh, or though a preview as well. We'll just be having a lot of content out there talking about Bill's games, moving on. I'm I'm sick of talking about what could happen. I want to see something tangible. I want to see something real happening on the field so we know what's going to happen with Leonard Floyd. Like you said, maybe they were hiding it. Well, we're going to know what this Bill's defense looks like at his whole. We're going to know what 12 personnel looks like with two legitimate re receiving weapons at the tight end, things like that. We're going to have actual things. I'm excited for it. I'm happy it's here. And boy, let's get it going. It's the best time of the year. The best day of the year. First NFL Sunday in the books. But the Bills still got a game to play this week. They are going to hopefully beat the New York Jets tonight in the Meadowlands and spoil Aaron Rodgers' homecoming for Luka. I am Josh McCarty, and we will see you guys next time on Bills Jets.